Where do you think multifamily cap rates are going to be at the end of this year and then into 2023? That's what we're going to be talking about this week on The Great Report. We're going to be talking about not only that, a survey from CBRE on cap rates, but reports from Institutional Property Advisors, Apartment List, Apartment Guide, so much more, some original opinions and commentary. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you on The Report. On the career report, That's right, Matt? How's your week going, man? It's yeah. good to be back. Fairly no big events, yeah. Fairly uneventful, but there's been a lot of uh, chance this week, especially in the reports that I've seen of people kind of taking stock of things mm. and figuring out what you know, where are we at, where are we going? Kind of a realization that we may have been at a turning point earlier, but we're going to have to get used to yeah. this kind of situation where we don't know where we are. I heard the CBRE report said the word turbulent oh. a whole lot of times. So uh, I think that that may be what I we're I think turbulent, at. that's a pretty good description of uh, the past couple months and yeah. probably the months to come. Um, did see a uh, drum pal um, speak out, out in Jackson Hole at the mm-hmm. symposium they do out there. Send some fe- fear through the markets. I don't think we really learned anything new, though. But yeah, definitely he didn't get a- to didn't get to say any new numbers for interest rates, but he's got the people right where he want them. Got them worried, and I like it. Again, I think they're using this monetary policy for you, which is like psychology, and just by um, expressing uh, opinions and just putting information out there, they don't have to actually adjust interest rates or yeah. buy securities. They can just move the opinions and psychology markets yeah. that way. I think it's almost more effective. It's more fun. It is more fun, and the media certainly likes it. Yeah. Now, we've got some really good reports. Um, So many people want to know, and nobody has the answer, but we have Mm -hmm. some some data to look at on kind of where the market is going in terms of cap rates. We're in a higher interest rate environment. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, the 10-year treasury, we're above 3%, kind of 3.1 on the 10-year treasury. The two-year has been even higher than the 10-year treasury. Mm-hmm. Fed funds rate has been rising as the Federal Reserve you know, rate is raising that, that lower rate. That obviously affects the cost of borrowing and how much leverage yeah. investors can use. And typically, there's some, not a direct correlation, but some kind of correlation between interest rates and at least some bond yields and cap rates, whether you want to look at the 10-year or the two-year, or you want to look at high-yield corporate bonds, which I think the evidence points to that they are a little bit more of an analog to cap rates rather than treasury bills. But cap rates haven't moved up that much compared yeah. to other rates. I mean, I think anecdotally, we've seen, we're going to look at these surveys. We've seen some movement upwards in cap rates, you know, 25, mm-hmm. 50, 50 basis points in some markets. But we're also seeing a lot of assets still trade and go under contract at very low cap rates, kind of in the mid fours, even sub fours. Yeah, it's it's interesting in the rush, you know, and this is kind of skipping a little bit ahead and we'll get to it later. But it's like the raising interest rates is creating this rush in sales volume to get ahead of the next rate increase. But that's kind of in some sectors, it's driving cap rates down a little bit because there's so much more people rushing in. Well, and also trying to harness some of this rent growth Mm -hmm. inflation that we're still seeing. Yeah, we're going to get into that. But first, let's talk about more of the residential housing market, single family homes. And um, we've been talking about this, you know, quite a bit as again, interest rates have risen the cost to buy a home and what an individual can afford in terms of a mortgage payment. A lot of folks just can't afford to buy a home anymore. Yep. That hasn't shown up in prices though. We're still seeing price increases, yep. albeit flat 
inventory is at, you know, very high levels compared to last year. I think, you know, we're at inventory levels closer to 2009. So a lot of slacks being taken out of the system. But so are we on the precipice here or, you know, are we already seeing the bottom? You know, are there still buyers in the market? You know, you can look at the chart of the case shiller. And I think it's actually really instructive just to take a look at this. And it's on the Fred, the Fred website. And it doesn't have the most recent number for the most for the most recent month that was just announced yesterday, but it does have the general trends. And yes, there is a dip in the during the great housing crisis, but there's no real precipice here. You can mess around with a chart and make things look as steep as you want to, but any movement in the housing market is something that is going to be a year, months, if not years in developing. Yeah. And, it, and it's it's kind of irresponsible to say that there's going to be an, an impending collapse. Last week, I, I did. I also said that we're not facing an impending housing collapse. And I'm a little worried that I'm that I'm uh, have two rose colored glasses. I, I kind of think like I'm the people that are laughing at Noah in the Bible as the rain was starting to pour out. But I'm going to take the risk and say that at this point, it still doesn't look like everyone's going to be underwater. See, I'm trying to continue. Yeah, I see that. Underwater mortgages. Really? <laughs> I can guarantee, though, that the prevailing opinion on home prices is that they're still really high. Yeah. We're not at that point where people are bemoaning the loss of their home value. Right now, I think, and this is what we were talking about earlier, people are comparing to 2021, whether it's in the CR, whether it's in the commercial real estate markets or in the home buying markets, a lot of people's opinions and perceptions of the current status of the market is comparing to 2021. And 2021 was such an aberration, whether it was low interest rates or, you know, incredibly uh, uh, growing home values, growing rents. And like, we're normalizing here. It doesn't mean we're going back to apocalypse. We're going to apocalypse. We're not. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's much more normalization and but also think about something like the backstops or just with kind of the who has been buying homes and recently as opposed mm-hmm. to you know back in 2006, 2007. And there's the shape of those buyers. I mean, not a lot of adjustable rate mortgages. Most of them are kind of fixed rate. A lot of people locked in interest rates over the last couple of years when interest mm-hmm. rates were very low. They don't need to sell. Why would they sell? I yeah. mean, the only reason why they would have to is, you know, if they lost their job and there's a recession and then they mm-hmm. have to sell. So I still think that there needs to be for it to see a any kind of meaningful decrease in, you know, the housing market, you're going to have to have some other economic event that really is affecting incomes, the people, their yeah. individual's ability to actually pay those mortgages. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, you still have people that want to buy a home. You know, people, there are a ton of investors that are buying homes. The the Blackstones, you know, large hedge mm-hmm, funds mm-hmm. and other groups are just buying single family homes, turning them into rentals. They're getting the rental income. If the price of that home decreases a little bit, Typically, those strategies they don't have to they don't need to sell them. They're yeah. buying them for cash flow. Yeah. So you know, as long as they're cash flow positive, they don't need to sell. You know, rents are are strong. You know, there's a pretty wide margin of kind of break even occupancy and mm-hmm. what they have to you know actually produce to be able to pay the mortgage. So you know, there's not like there's the recipe in this house of cards, at least in um, housing, that you know just you pull one leg out, it's all going to come yeah. tumbling down. Now, can we see some moderate like corrections, like? That makes sense because yeah. the cost of borrow is so high and that's we are what, out of whack. That's of, what people are trying to do right now. Yeah, exactly. It'll come down. It's supposed to, or at least that's what Powell wants. Yeah. But like, it's not, yeah, there is nothing inherent. And that's another thing too is and what I said last week, a collapse implies that there is something inherent and fundamental to the housing market itself. Right now it's being acted upon, or at least the home buyers are being, you know, are being influenced by higher interest rates. Yeah. And I was saying, again, people are comparing 2021, 20, or 2022, maybe, you know, that's a 
perception, but there's also like a budget issue of if you locked in that rate, like you said, in 2021, that's really low and you've got to get a much cheaper house. In yeah, well, to- how, you just won't move. Yeah. Like you're yep. just going to stay put. It's totally going to turn the dial down in terms of sales volume. And, and again, you know, this all makes renting that much more appealing to so many more Americans. Mm-hmm. We talk about that every week, but it's, it is just, it gives rents quite a bit of room, yeah. quite a bit of runway to continue to move because there's that such that difference between your mortgage rate and average rental rates in the United States right now. Yeah. And so, and again, this may be a rose colored glasses kind of thing, but the interest rates are a temporary phenomenon. And if, and maybe they'll keep going up forever. I don't think so. I think that there's going to be a certain point where interest rates are going to start to come down. And that, you know, and that kind of precludes any possibility of an apocalypse if, uh, yeah. if this is the one thing that's really dominating the market. Well, we, we always have to keep in mind that, you know, the, the federal government doesn't want interest rates to be too high. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, the dollar is strong right now, which is a, a benefit, but, you know, there's a lot of, that's required to service the debt of the federal government. But now, you know, rec- tax mm. revenue is at an all-time high also. So they're getting tons of revenue to be able to pull, to be able to pay some of that debt. So yeah. they are making it up on the revenue side, but there is a point where the government's going to much rather prefer the easy money just like Wall Street, just like investors, just yeah. like most of the economy. Yeah. No, that's so. I think that's a that's a really good point. And also just last thing on the case Schiller in, index yeah. in in home prices that we always have to Remind ourselves that housing is, is a very seasonal business mm-hmm. and you would always expect there to be a slowdown in the housing in housing activity, yeah. sales, rent and rental activity this time of year. People are kids are going to school, people are at work, mm-hmm. getting busier, people just aren't moving around nearly as much. Yeah. So you would expect some flattening or declines That's- in the winter. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's a good point, point. Um, and that's something that I that I noted in um, in some of the other reports that we had on on rentals as well. Awesome. Well, let's go to this um, institutional property advisors report, mm-hmm. um, multifamily market intelligence. Um, I always look forward to these reports, Matt, and I think this is a one that is kind of packed full of good information. It's a nice, tight little four yeah, page report. Nice, concise. I was like, know, oh man. And so they've got six key takeaways, oh, and really six. All six of them is like, ooh, this is some juicy topics mm-hmm. that I could, mm-hmm. you know, I could talk a whole hour about each one. Um, one is rent growth is returning to normal levels. Maybe they were watching it when I have said for the past like four weeks in a row, uh, don't call it a cool down. It is normalizing. Um, the next one is that the uptick in vacancy is not majorly cutting into rent growth. The next is that rent growth for renewals is mitigating the rise in expenses. And they also talk about uh, how apartment construction is more active, but completions are hard to come by. And finally, uh, I'm sorry, next is the downtown apartment market coming back, but not necessarily the office market. And finally, that capital markets disruption to investment should become more apparent. Um, this is, uh, I think that last point is is particularly interesting because we have seen higher, we have seen relatively high sales volumes in yeah. 2022 so far. And I wonder what is going to happen in this higher interest rate environment. Well, I think that's a good point. And one thing that we, I think we've mentioned a little bit in the past, but not too much, and I think it needs to be kind of highlighted, is, and a lot of our listeners may be aware of this, but may not know it, is that, you know, a lot of groups out there in the kind of the multifamily syndication space that aren't necessarily utilizing institutional capital, many of those groups have largely been taken out of the market this year. And that's because of um, capital market conditions. With low cap rates and high interest rates, you need to have enough income on an acquisition of a property to be able to pay the debt service and then have mm-hmm. a margin of error you know, beyond just paying off your mortgage. 
Um, typically, lenders are looking for a you know, 1.24 to 1.3 debt service coverage ratio. And so you need to have, you know, 120% of cash flow to cover 100% of your debt plus, you know, 26% beyond that okay. to be able to qualify that you have enough income to support mm-hmm. support the loan. So you show them like, okay, this is the income that's coming from rents. It's going to make, it's going to make this. And, the, and then they. Exactly. So you've got a, you know, call it a hundred thousand dollars of your mortgage payment. You need to be showing that you're making a hundred and you know twenty six thousand dollars, so I can put, use the hundred thousand dollars to pay off my pay the mortgage, and then I've got twenty six thousand extra, you know, in clearance because you know one month, one month you might have a downturn or yep. a high vacancy that might go up and down, so you need to have some margin of error. They don't want you to loan you an amount where you'll just barely be able to cover the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So as, in, as interest rates rise, that debt service increases, so it's a harder mm-hmm. threshold to clear. Okay. And so they will lend you less. You know, they'll still give you a loan, but instead of giving you 75% of the loan to value, now I can only give you 65% or 60%. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some groups that were accustomed to getting 80, 85% loan to value. Man. You know, and 75 was, you know, close to the, I think the average is probably, you know, like 72 or 73, because there's a lot of institutional capital out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of institutional investors prefer using less leverage. It decreases your return, but it also decreases risk. The risk tolerance is lower. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for an, you know, knock it out of the park. They don't need a home run. They're looking for singles and doubles. Safe place to put their money. It's tax efficient. It's going to put generate some income. So they're already accustomed to using relatively lower and moderate leverage, 50 to you know 65%. That's all you can get. So the buyers have been the big groups. There's been a lot of big portfolios, big deals have traded. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is institutional money or investors that are sophisticated enough to understand the trade-off of risk and return. Yeah, um, I'm still wanting to get allocated to the asset class that has the most potential for return overall. That's getting us still a, a you know a real positive yield, but you're just not getting the again those home run returns that you could have gotten with higher leverage, but yeah. higher leverage means higher risk as yeah. well. So there's a lot of groups, again, that are kind of in the middle market doing smaller deals. They, they can only raise so much equity. And at 60, 65% loan to value, that could mean another million dollars or $2 million that you have to raise. Yeah, That's more of your equity. Your return is based on the total amount of equity. So again, mm-hmm. it's harder to raise all the money. And it's also the returns are lower. And as returns lower, it becomes even harder to raise yeah, equity. Yeah. So you have, it's harder to raise and there's okay, even more to raise. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of groups that have, you know, trying to do deals, but are just struggling to do so. And so if you're a, you know, active investor in multifamily syndications, you may have seen a slowdown in deal volume. Mm-hmm. Now there's also uncertainty and other reasons to be, you know, a little more cautious in doing deals. We haven't had as many deals this year as we thought. Um, although I think that's, that's changing. Um, as we've got some, we've got a really good pipeline, but, you know, there just hasn't been that price discovery yeah. to kind of know yeah. where, where everything is. Yeah, that's really, that's interesting. I, I think that some of their comments on um, on any of these key takeaways are really interesting. Yeah. And it's stuff that we've, we've really talked about, how apartment construction is active, but it's going to take some time. We've seen... The, the cuts in projections of deliveries has, has been yeah. astonishing. I mean, we were at like, you know, at one point they were predicting five, 600,000 deliveries this year. And you know what are they? What are they saying now? Just over four hundred thousand units. Yeah. That's really interesting because it's like, yeah, we were. What did it say? Properties authorized by building permit during the year end June totaled six hundred and sixty six units. 
up 28% year over year. We're permitting them, maybe even starting them, but it's, they're not going to finish. And this is, we have talked about this for a full year that yeah. like these timelines are going to be, are going to be increased. And that's, and that's going to further keep demand high. I mean, the supply is going to be delivered eventually at some point, Yeah, but it may just be more spread out over time. And as we've noted also that in really it's concentrated across a handful of markets. Yeah. And that's, and that's another good point too, is any of this supply of these supply issues is it's really, really important to look to your, the local markets and the markets you're into really even the sub markets that's going to make an impact. Yeah. Well, um, I would check out the rest of this report again. It, it's very concise. Um, just checking out these six takeaways that we've discussed quite a few times mm-hmm. on the great report, but it's always great to get some new data points to sink our teeth into. Matt, let's move on to this apartmentless report mm-hmm. for August of 2022, the national rent report. Um, and again, one of the reasons why we like to look at all these different reports is sometimes like the data is like a little bit different. Yeah, this um, is, this and, is and, and Matt really weeks. likes to track <laughs> some of that. Yeah, so different, same reports but different data. You can kind of get a feel, you know, an apartment list. I've I've been following it for for about two years, if not more. And you get a feel. Okay, this apartment list is generally uh, a little bit higher. It seems yeah. like than than yeah. some of the other reports, um, but but it is consistent. And so you kind of know what you're going to get. So basically, this report says that rent growth is continuing to moderate, but it remains at elevated levels. It feels like I've said that every month this year. As apartment list explains in the report, they say that year-over-year growth has slowed to 10%, down from a pearl of nearly 18% at the beginning of the year. That's what they wrote. Wait. And they wrote uh, they wrote Pearl. And so I photoshopped a little Pearl on one of their graphs there. But that's neither here nor Down there. Down from a Pearl. <laughs> So that's that's not that's not a figure of speech. Yeah, I okay. no, the K it, is next to the L in the alphabet. Yeah, so I okay, think they probably right. yeah. maybe that maybe that sense. maybe that makes any fun. any yeah good stuff. Anyways, so year over year growth is slowed to ten percent, and they um and then the month over month numbers are 05 percent. So that's what the the month over month rent growth is, and take that over six per, take that over twelve months, it's still six percent, which is still well above historical averages. August is also at the end of peak renting season. And if you look at 2019 and 2018, these pre-pandemic years saw rent growth near zero or even really in the negatives. Yeah, negative. I mean, in 2020 starting in, well, 2020 is not probably a good year, but um, yeah, 2019 and 2018, they really started in August. Yeah. Well, 2018 started in August and 2019, August was about almost flat and then with negative in September. Again, you know, just seasonality, what mm-hmm. to expect. We just discussed earlier. Yeah. Um, so vacancy actually is a little bit different. Vacancy was so very low in October 2021. That was the real low point at 4.1%. And it has been inching up ever since. Um, ever since that day, or ever since that month in 2021, October, um, vacancy has been increasing. It's been it's up at 5.1% now. So it has not been increasing dramatically each month but it has still steadily been going up. And this vacancy trend is is out of step, I think, a little bit with seasonal trends. So it's been more difficult to see where we're going right now. Now, this 5.1% vacancy is a lot lower than the recent peak vacancy of 7.2 in July 2020. Uh, And it's also way below where vacancy was pre-pandemic, which was Mm -hmm. around 6%, maybe a little bit above. So I think that, again, this is, it's like, we're not in 2021, but we're yeah. definitely doing better than we, than any time pre-pandemic. Oh, so yeah. unless you're, you know, unless you've got blinders on and you can only see last year, you should really be thinking about how, you know, how well things are going. And I mean, I, I think 
what makes sense to me on the, you know, strong occupancy numbers, you know, still well above, you know, 200 basis points, you know, better than kind of the more the closer to the historic average or kind of pre-pandemic, you know, 100 basis points off the all-time lows. But again, people are being driven into rentals, not people are, people mm-hmm. are buying houses. But I think we're running into some price growth issues of just demand destruction in the form of people can only afford so much in rent. Yep. And in some sectors, you're running into those ceilings mm-hmm. and um, we're going into the winter months, I've you heard, know, you're kind of moderating your rents. So in previous months, I've heard that class C was having trouble with kind of rent growth. I think that class A and B are now having a little bit more trouble. So it's slowing down a little bit on the higher end um, apartment side. But I think that, you know, all of them, if inflation is a concern, there's going to be a ceiling unless wage growth starts to come. But then again, I mean, we're seeing what inflation we're, I issues. Mean, yeah, we're, I mean, we're and I think we're seeing that. I mean, we are seeing wages rise, you know, albeit not as fast as rents. But, you know, again, I think we see rents move before we typically see wages. But mm-hmm. we are and we are seeing wages. But we're also seeing some you know, job losses. I mean, overall job gains yeah. as a as a nation. But in select some select sectors of mm-hmm. higher paying um, positions, a lot of tech companies, you know, we are seeing I heard layoffs. some, you know, I, I read about, uh, there's some prop tech uh, yeah, companies I think, that I think are- Snapchat um, today announced they were laying off 20% of yeah. their, their workforce, kind of doing a reorganization. So, yeah. um, and that's not the first tech company that's denounced major layoffs. Yeah. So, yeah. And we actually, you know, we covered this, I think about a month or two ago, how these fast growing, you know, we're kind of shifting in a little bit yeah. away from the growth into the kind of more value market. I do want to talk about these individual markets that they have here. We're seeing a continued post-pandemic trend in the recovery of a lot of markets that had the most sluggish rent growth in 2020 and 2021. Seattle, New York, and San Jose were um, some of those higher cost of living places that stagnated during the pandemic, but they're making up for it now. Among the markets with the slowest rent growth, uh, but... uh, they actually, I'm sorry, to, co- to, yeah, to stay with the fastest rent growth, yeah. uh, Rochester is doing incredibly well and, and has done well, you know, over the past 12 months, over the past six months, uh, really since since March of 2020. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. interesting. I have a friend who lives in, in Rochester and he works for the Mayo Clinic there and, and he's He's told me multiple times, he's like, you guys need to get into Rochester because the growth here is pretty incredible. Wow. Um, a lot of that's driven by Mayo and then some of the surrounding yeah. you know, uh, healthcare services, but, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it make, makes sense. Um, so yeah, but some of the slowest growing metrics uh, among the market, you know, Minneapolis, um, we've yeah. noted it before. That's, that is a market with some of the slowest rent growth in the nation, um, during the pandemic over the past 12 months and the past six months, really yeah. any way you slice it's it. It's a pretty good example though, to keep in mind. I mean, you know, one state, pretty different, uh, stories between Minneapolis and Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. And there, you know, it's, there's a similar climate, I think, right? They're, they're well, about the same it, latitude. I, I think Minneapolis had all the issues with, you know, the George Floyd protests. There's and a, there's a some... lot of, you know, a lot of issues, mm-hmm. I think. And Minneapolis has also had some like rent control. You know, there's all kinds of issues. Um, it's also cold, but again, yeah, Rochester is cold as well. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so the conclusion of the report, uh, and they kind of wrap things up, it really does line up with a lot of what I've been thinking in that demand is still elevated considerably compared to historical averages. Um, and a seasonal dip in rent growth this fall should not be taken as a sign of future collapse. As confident, though, as I am in the continued stability of the apartment market, um, I'm also confident that if rent growth dips later this year, people are going to say that all is lost. 
Mm. We'll see YouTube thumbnails with flames in the background and the words rent disaster 2022 uh, in like kind of diagonally yeah. uh, Photoshop in the background. Someone disappointed in the uh, someone's got their heads. Oh, rent disaster. And then um, and that's what you'll see. Uh, we're just, I think we've already seen it. it it's All like right. <laughs> they're perennial. Yeah. Um, and, and so Matt, this is where the pearl is. This, oh yeah. This is where the pearl so of that rent is, growth. Yeah. The pearl of rent growth right in uh, July of 2021. Okay. That, that, yeah. That, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Apartment guide. Um, let's talk about apartment guide. Um, new report. Quarterly average rent price report. Again, we're going through all the data today. So yeah, the keyword here is quarterly, and the numbers here square with uh, of the apartment guide report squares with a lot of other reports. But I'm including this because whenever I get two of these regular reports that come in, um, I want that's an that's an invitation for me to talk about compare them. Yep. And it's an invitation to really uh, to really point to some of the things that I think about when when I'm assessing a report. Period. Um, well, so, and I think is, that's, that's kind of, it's, so it's kind of inside the report and we yeah, get a lot of questions exactly. about this. I do. It's like, you know, how does Matt put all the reports together? What do you show what to not include? So this is good. There's, there's some interest in this. Some, Matt. some reports get a little picture. Some reports do not get yeah, as much attention and then they're just decide? there. <laughs> well, you know, part of it I think is, is following them and is following them every month and, and yeah. kind of getting a feels like, all right, this one's generally higher than this one. This one's really generally lower than this one. Um, which ones are phoning it in, which ones are really you yeah. know, into. And there are some aberrations in this report that that uh, at, at first I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I thought, oh, maybe they're just aberrations. <laughs> yeah. So we'll all get into that in a second. But um, in terms of their numbers, again, nothing too surprising or out of line with apartment yeah. lists. They have uh, one bedroom rents up 12.2% year over year and two bedrooms up 13.83% year over year. Um, that's a recording for the quarter. So they're probably capturing mm-hmm. a lot of that summer. Rent they, do they show three bed? Um, they Brent. did not show. It's just one and two bedroom. Yeah. Um, we are seeing just in general kind of growth in the larger unit sizes, two mm-hmm. beds, and especially the three beds. And so I was curious about that. Yeah, I think that makes that definitely makes sense with the two beds up more than mm-hmm. the one bedroom. Um, so apartment list again was ten, it measured ten percent compared to the twelve and and roughly fourteen percent for apartment guide. Um, apartment guide also has some interesting data on state level rent growth. Um, they comment that states that saw the highest increases in yearly rents for both apartment sizes, um, both one and bedroom, one and two bedroom, cl- are clustered along the lower Midwest and the Deep South as part as that part of the nation caught up to broader price ch- trends. Now, I am going to I, I do agree that um, that some of these Midwestern states are experiencing a little bit of a back, or you know, it's just their stability showing amidst a little bit more turbulence in the rental market. Um, but that statement is in the ballpark of being accurate. Yeah. But I see that Tennessee has the highest rent growth at an eye-popping 38.24% year over year. And I'm hoping, really hoping, that Apartment Guide isn't saying that Tennessee isn't part of the lower Midwest. Uh, Tennessee is not a part of the Deep South either. So um, maybe that's just a little bit of a miscalculation. Oh, maybe. But you got the Mason Dixon line right there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but like I have a map of the lower Midwest and it's not, and it and it shows that it's, it's not Tennessee. It stops at Kentucky. Stops at Kentucky. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. I mean, I mean, Nashville, I mean, has a lot of growth and there's some other Tennessee markets. I mean, um, Chattanooga, um, uh, oh, so, but I'm curious. I, I mean, more than I'm surprised that it's more than Florida and, you know, yeah. more than, more than Texas. Um, that, that is, there a, is a little bit of a logic where it, it, we, we are seeing, and what I think are, you know, 
maybe it's not post-pandemic trends, but there are some trends that are running counter to stuff that we saw last year and the year before. Yeah. And things are different and things are kind of bouncing back or they're kind of cooling off a little mm. bit, especially in, in, you know, in, in place like Phoenix, I think yeah. I've, I've seen point. a big, some kind of big cool offs. Um, this 38% is, is incredibly striking for the, uh, for the state numbers. And, um, yeah, I mean, they've got Phoenix's year over year change at, uh, 0.65%. That can't be right. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's another thing too, is like that the 38% year over year for Tennessee as a state level, that almost squares with the apartment lists amount of growth for some markets since March of 2020. Yeah. So there's there, okay, something, okay. some, some fishy about things these are growing. <laughs> Sufficient, they're growing. Um, but I think you know there are some places in the study, like I said, where the numbers don't exactly square with other reporting. They have Indianapolis with negative year over year rent growth, but in other yeah. reports like Yardy Matrix, which, which I really like, um, Indianapolis is among the very top when it comes to month or month rent growth, at least in the past month, past month or two. Also, Indy's negative rent growth doesn't make sense in light of the state level rent growth for Indiana, which is at nineteen percent year over year for one bedroom, 14 for two bedroom. Um, so there's so these strange discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And also like the thing that really started me kind of digging a little more was this weird thing where Michigan's one bedroom rent growth is 0.3, so very nearly zero. And it's two bedroom rent growth is 30, 31.93. Yeah. So that <laughs> that's, a, I mean, I can see that there being more demand for the two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Like we were just talking about and we see them national, but that's to have like no. That's a big discrepancy. Yeah. Like so the demand isn't because at some point someone be like, I'll take a two bedroom. Yeah. Or one bedroom. So what I think this is, and 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 I could be wrong here, and and I I would definitely invite you know if anyone from apartment guide wants to come on here and explain, I would explain yourself. <laughs> um, but the methodology section shows that they're getting their numbers from the portfolio of apartment guide units. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe that portfolio well, because maybe, maybe explain. I mean, so apartment guide is like an. A, a, ILS service, a, mm-hmm. a listing service for apartments. So, you know, apartment renters can find an apartment, apartment owners pay to be on apartment guide. Is apartment guide, um, they were, were they purchased recently? Who owns apartment guide? Rent Group Incorporated. Um, tracking down the data. So, also they own rent dot, rent.com, apartment guide. Because um, we we were experimenting, you know, comparing apartments.com mm-hmm. and, and rent.com. And that's another good point, too. A lot of these uh, just kind of behind the reports. Um, Yardy Matrix is the same way. They they sell services that, you know, that help people with property management and kind of tracking tracking rents. And and this, you know, the apartment guide uh, and Redfin. OK. All right. So this is a this is a Redfin associated company. That's very interesting. So. Again, like you know, looking at the methodology is is important. Kind of looking at what the what the each company does is also important. Maybe sometimes we'll get some from kind of uh, banking or lending organizations. These people that there's lots of entries into the uh, into the report publishing world. Well, I'm, curi- and, I'm uh, curious then, you know, how much of this is coming from Redfin data, and you know, a lot of single family home information, which again doesn't really track. Yeah, but maybe not as pure apartment information. I you know, that, I don't know. I mean, Redfin's numbers were a little bit more stable than the, yeah. than the numbers that we had here. I'll have to keep maybe next month. Think I'll mm-hmm. I'll keep this on my list and and return to it. But but again, it was just that that discrepancy with the Michigan numbers. You know, nearly zero to uh, to thirty one percent rent growth year over year, and the fact that you know this isn't the lower Midwest is uh, is not Tennessee. So just so, apartment guide got a little bit of work to do. <laughs> 
Um, trying to keep them honest over here. That's right. Matt, let's get into this blockbuster report from CBRE talking all about cap rates. This was a highly anticipated survey, mm-hmm. as it always is. CBRE does cap rate surveys for, for you know, splitting the year in half, H1 and H2. <sighs> It's, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, bring well, us up to speed. It is interesting. You know, people want to know. People people really want to know what the cap rates are. And it's it's hard. They're hard to predict. Well, and it's, it's lagging. So like a survey yeah. is going to be lagging. It's talking about the past. And we can use the past to inform the future and mm-hmm. look at trends. But things have been moving so quickly with interest rates that yeah. we have to look at. This is kind of in the rear view mirror. But mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that we make a, a couple predictions as yeah. well in this and trying to, well, trying and, to get the crystal and this ball is, going. That's what... And you can kind of correct me, but like cap rates seem to be more of the product of a market than than like a, a rule that a market has to follow. Oh yeah. So there's that, a lot. Of, they mean a lot of different things to different people, yeah. obviously. And I think to start, you know, what is a cap rate? A, a lot of our listeners, you know, they use cap rates th- throughout the day, but mm-hmm. for someone that's maybe newer, might not know what a cap rate is. Cap rate is a capitalization rate. It's a um, evaluation metric that is used to determine um, a potential value. It's one method to, to determine the value of a piece of commercial real estate. And that value is relative to the income that it produces. Okay. So in order to determine your cap rate, um, you need to know at least two variables. Um, and you can use this formula to solve for either what the net operating income is for the property, what the value is of that asset, and then what the cap rate is. So you need two out of those three variables to get the third, essentially. So to figure out what the cap rate is, essentially we take our net operating income, which is your income minus your expenses, you don't include your mortgage payment, and divide that by the purchase price or the value of the property. That will give you your cap rate. So if there is a $100,000 of income on a million dollar property, 100,000 divided by 1 million, Got a ten percent cap rate. Mm-hmm. Now you can use that same use those variables to determine you know what the value is. So mm-hmm. you can take the net operating income and um, divide by the cap rate. So hundred thousand, um, hundred thousand dollars divided by point one or the ten percent would give you that million dollar valuation. So it's the main metric. It's not the only metric because you can also use comparative price per unit and other kind of comparative metrics. But because commercial real estate is traded on how much income it produces or how much income it can produce. Yeah. That cap rate is incredibly important as a kind of a guide for how to value something. And cap rates are vary from market to asset class to submarket to the different side of the street to yeah. the quality. So there's there's always a range, that's but understanding I, kind of what that range is is incredibly important. That that's what I was thinking. It's like if you have a cap rate in mind, you can you can go up to someone and say, yeah, but I put I plugged in I plugged in the cap rate. It's like Sorry, this is not, it's not a hard and fast yeah, rule. Yeah, and there's no good, and people ask, you know, what is a good cap rate? What is a what is a bad cap rate? There's really no such thing because, mm-hmm. again, it can mean different things to different people depending on what you're purchasing and how you're using the metric. You could just use cap rate as a measure of risk yeah. of, you know, a lower cap rate seemingly could indicate that there's lower risk in the market because there's more interest in it and people are allocating more resources to it until you get to the point where cap rates are so low and they can be, you can have some sort of bubble or kind of a misvaluation. Cap rates being high means that you're going to get a higher rate of return, which also means that there should be a relatively higher degree of risk because you're receiving a premium on that risk to make that investment. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, your cap rate that you buy something in isn't the necessarily relative 
directly to the return because you're going to have your own business plan. You may be buying a property that's producing $100,000 of net operating income. Mm-hmm. You're going to fix up the units, increase rent, reduce expenses. So it's going to be creating um, $200,000 in income over five years. Yeah. Now you're at a, you know, you're running at a 20% yield on cost or kind of cap rate, although it's, it's really, you know, truly yield on cost. So the cap rate that you purchase it at isn't necessarily what your return is going to be, which is the idea of allowing people to buy at low cap rates like we've seen in today's market. So you can buy at a three and a half, four cap rate. If the income growth is so high, you're raising rents at such a clip that you're still producing the cash flow, but it just takes time to be able to execute that business plan. Mm-hmm. So again, cap rate is a lot of different things to a lot of people. It's a capitalization rate. And how we value all these assets and where the market is, is critical to kind of again, making some of these decisions. So yeah. understanding yeah. where that market is today is important. And I would say outside of these surveys, this will give you an idea, but the best way to know what cap rates are in your given market is by talking to people who are in it. So that's yeah. lenders and that's brokers and that's other buyers. Yeah. And that's why that's why I want to say it's like, this is not a hard, fast rule. That's why probably you can't get like a computer program to do it. It's so yeah. much in the air and it's so much having to do with, with the people that you know and the and the thing, the the thoughts that are happening every single day. Yeah. You can't yeah. keep up with this it. Because there's no really good historic cap rate data. It's very opaque. It doesn't get like reported. You know, there's not a lot of public reporting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very hard to track. So this is why when you actually get a mm. report, it's why it's so exciting. So let, let, let's let's get into it, Matt. Let's uh, just kind of jump into um, some of the conclusions in kind of yeah. the meat of this report. I think there's some uh, top five insights. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, the top five insights from this report are the, that concerns over rising interest rates are fueling expectations for moderate cap rate expansion, a weakening economic background backdrops leading to tighter underwriting and lending assumptions. Sturdy fundamentals are supporting milder yield expansion for industrial. Um, Relative pricing is making quality retail attractive, even though it's uh, weaker in marginal centers. And then while concerned with rising operating costs, hotel investors are optimistic about resort properties and markets in the Southwest and Mountain West. Um, Absent in that report is the fact that um, in general, cap rates at the higher end of the market have seen more modest expansion than cap rates for assets on the lower end um, of the commercial real estate market. And multifamily and commercial have the lowest cap rates. Office office properties are at the at the top cap rate wise. Um, and retail is is a little right in the middle. You know, it's kind of right in the middle, maybe along the upper end. Any either way, it's I mean see, I mean the multi I mean there's multifamily cap rates in the, you know, the threes and even mid twos. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, it is really dominated on the lower end by multifamily properties. And I think, you know, it's people coming in and seeing multifamily as a little bit of a sanctuary. And as you said, like a lower risk investment perhaps yeah. than, well, than I think the, the risk is perceived to be lower just because the fundamentals and the thesis is mm-hmm. so, so strong right now. Yeah. CBR does, CBRE does note that markets have been more active than would have been expected uh, during turbulent periods. And sales volumes are actually up 10% in the second quarter of 2022 compared to the same period last year. Partly explained CBRE because people have been trying to get ahead of mm-hmm. interest rate increases. So that there yeah. is, and we'll see again um, in, in future slides, there is this expectation of, of interest rate increases that is actually yeah. you know, driving, driving things in the market. Yeah, so the rising cost of capitals 
that's that is something that is that's readily apparent. It says that tighter monetary policy has significantly increased borrowing costs, impacting some transactions, and in some cases, debt financing costs have drifted higher than market cap rates. Um, survey respondents overwhelmingly expect cap rates to increase during the next six months. As we've seen, you, we've said in the past, you know, the, there has been a decent amount of you know negative leverage being mm-hmm. used, which I think is a kind of a sign of you know maybe a little overheated. A yeah, little bit. and and especially I think that's a kind of a market a market by market kind True. of thing. It, but I wonder if you know if things keep going, if if cap rates stay the same or keep going lower, and interest rates keep going up, and that spread tightens, are people going to oh there's a, start yeah. spreading oh. into you know, secondary, tertiary markets, and even more than they are. I think, I think, yeah, people are already doing it right now. I think there's going to be some people looking at, you know, I think some retail, quality retail, as they Mm -hmm. mentioned, some other asset classes where you can get a little bit more of a premium. Yeah. But also um, some markets that you can get some some yield out of, they're so stable, well, then maybe there's a little bit more secondary or tertiary than you Mm. were investing in. In the past, as yeah. well. I'm and well, I'm sorry. Well, no, I just think you know. Again, I think we mentioned this a handful of times, but you know, there's so much dry powder out there in investor interest, especially on in the institutional side and the international side, that has that is what really has been able to keep cap rates as low as they are relative to interest rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and we've said this before. It's like, what's the alternative? And when you're looking at, especially CR, CB, or especially CRE, where we are looking yeah. at CBRE, the multifamily is a great alternative to any other asset class. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at investment in general, commercial real estate is a great is a great alternative. Matt, this is gonna it just giving some um, definitions or some more color to the kind of the conversation that we were having, um, you know, kind of earlier in the show of you know who are the investors and really being the institutional yeah. investors. Um, I mean, institutional investors and equity funds, you know, really starting in Q in Q3 of 2021, really kind of throughout, honestly, um, 21 and through 2022, they've been the majority investor besides at the end of 21, where we had a little bit of a, a little more diversity, including private investors, which had made a pretty decent chunk in the past couple of years. But you see, you know, not nearly as many private investors um, as well as is um, kind of listed REITs. So as well. the negative. So when these numbers go into the negative, that re- that represents someone selling, or um, yeah, they're not. Or they're yeah, they're not making as many acquisitions. I think it's not necessarily selling, but the deploying of capital, making acquisitions. Okay. So who's buying right now? So private. So private investors were negative almost thirty billion, much more than institutional investors were pot there. Yeah. It seems like private investors are going out of the market at an incredible yeah. rate. Yeah. And again, those private investors are like the syndication groups that, you know, are using higher hmm. moderate leverage where the institutions, they can go with the lower LTV and still get deals done. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that's how we've been able to get deals done is, yeah. is, is using lower leverage, taking less risk, but still getting good, good returns and uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. But, um, you know, People were thinking cap rates are going to rise, and so mm-hmm. you know we will it. We will, we will will it into existence. Yeah. it seems like. So it's a, they say as of late May, survey respondents were largely expecting an increase in cap rates within a twenty five basis point range. It's virtually assured that these expectant expectations would be in, revised upward if the survey were conducted today. Mm-hmm. So this is only late May. That is that's actually really interesting. Um, I don't know if it over determines or, or you know, but it definitely underlines it um, that people are really expecting cap rates to rise. Yeah. Um, and loan loan spreads are expected to widen as well. 
Um, I thought I thought this was interesting too because the following slide also talks about how the uh, lending terms are becoming becoming more restrictive. Is are those are are those of the same piece? Is more restrictive loan terms mean that loan spreads are widening? Because I, it seems like one would go against the other. I think you can do both. I think you're you're right. So, but you can have different. You can have underwriting standards, but still, you know, narrow your spreads. Okay. Um, because you're being more conservative on you know what you're going to assume on like the growth, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe we're not going to charge as much on the loan. We I don't think we have seen the spreads. Um, well, so if they're going to widen, so that would be tightening. Sorry. So going going back, if loan spreads are wide and that would be tight. Okay. Because okay. they're going to be charging more, it's going to be a higher hurdle to clear again for that debt service coverage ratio. Because instead of paying the ten year Treasury plus two hundred basis point, maybe mm-hmm. it's ten year Treasury plus two hundred and fifty plus oh, three hundred. Okay, I was I okay I was misunderstanding. I was thinking of the cap rate spread, the cap rate and loan spread about you know what would what would be the spread uh, comparing that cap rate and the amount that you're paying in debt. But this loan spread is talking about how much additionally each individual lender is is going yeah, to have charging charge a premium on top. because okay. you know, yeah the interest rates that a lender charges are based on some kind of index rate which is mm-hmm. you know again typically so for the ten year treasury um, plus a spread which is sort of based on the profit that the bank makes mm-hmm. you know for their risk um, so again that's typically you know so whatever money you know percent on top two percent three percent on top widening is going to increase that amount of basis points percentage okay. that they're going to charge as their profit. Because of perception and risk, they see more risk in the market to make the investment. They need to be compensated um, for for the risk, essentially. Okay, that it, definitely is makes the concept. Sense. So no, those those two those two jive um, for for sure. And now the next slide is oh, I'm sorry, multifamily underwriting. Uh, it reflects higher cap rate assumptions. But then there's there is a slide coming up here that talks about why um, why are cap rates po- poised to rise. Um, and, uh, and I thought that yeah, I'd like you to explain it if yeah. you can. So well, uh, <laughs> rising interest rates, I think that makes sense. Um, expect higher cap rates is why cap rates are poised to rise. So again, this is the self-fulfilling prophecy of, hey, we think we're going to... I mean, it makes sense. If you think prices are going to go down, you're less willing to pay c- today's current pricing because I'm yeah. going to wait for them to come down and those lack of buyers or those fewer buyers who are mm-hmm. now on the sidelines and that drives yeah. prices down or at least does not drive prices up to a point where we're seeing continued cap rate growth. And yeah. I think there's a point to be made here that, again, while cap rates and prices are um, obviously correlated in length, cap rates aren't the only variable in the equation. Again, mm-hmm. we go back, let's go back to this cap rate equation and formula, not operating income. Yeah. So you can have a slightly higher cap rate, but if your income is increasing to at a, at a very fast rate, you could be seeing pricing stay the same. Mm-hmm. Your price could stay the same, but your cap rate rises. Or you could even see your price increase and the cap rate rises and your cap rate rises. So you know, cap rate does not mean valuation. It's it's one of the tools of how you're valuing that income. But if the value of that income is, in, or if the yeah. income has increased, you know, it's a, that, there's not a one-to-one movement of cap rate and pricing necessarily. Yeah. So that's what we're going to have to really huh. that's watch. And so, you know, you may see those higher cap rates and say, now it's attractive. Yeah. But because a month ago, let's say six months ago, you're saying, no, I'm, I don't want, I only want to buy something at five cap it up. Mm-hmm. You see a property down the street and the owner says, you know, it's worth $50 million. That's like a four and a half cap for you. Well, six months later, 
maybe all of a sudden the income has increased, rents have been increased. Mm-hmm. Now the cap rate on that property is a 5%, but yeah. he still wants the 50 million. You know, so he's getting his price yeah. because the income's there. That's that's really interesting. And so one of the reasons why people think that cap rates will will go up is that is that they're pricing in weaker NOI growth. Yeah. Um, that's, well, then, well, then you, then you could really see cap rates. But when, I, when I'm thinking, and what you were saying before, is like I'm kind of thinking about inflation. And if you're, you know, cap rates should probably price in a little bit of inflation if that's going to yeah. impact NOI growth. And and that runs a little bit counter. Well, to this is the, you know, so this is like inflation. 25% of people basically saying they think that inflation is going to taper off and rent yeah. growth is going to moderate significantly, mm-hmm. which I think that most people would agree. It's just the question of yeah, you know, when. It's finite for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I just thought the that the self fulfilling prophecy is uh, one of the most yes one of the most typical. <laughs> it's like a recession, you know, indicator of like, do you think there's going to be a recession? Why? Well, it's because everyone else thinks there's a recession. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, then there's some information on the office markets. I mean, let's quick conclusion: office markets are, I think, are still uncertain. They're yeah. they're under pressure right now. Re- the yeah, retail thing is is really yeah, interesting, and and I was reading some other other articles that really showed how there is some potential in the re- in the retail space, um, and I think it's also dependent on you know retail wasn't performing too well last year or the year before, um, but it also you know it also wasn't cratering, and I wasn't seeing the the really like that this dark future for retail that that some people no. thought. Initially, after the pandemic, it was quickly apparent that retail had, had a chance to survive. It's not going to be in the same place as it was. I think that malls aren't really doing as great now, um, but but retail, but there are deals there, and and there could be a real opportunity for investors. I, I think it's so location dependent yeah. and what it is and, and, and where it is that I think you can find some great retail opportunities that are, I think, relatively low risk if you understand the market and the operations. And there's some other retail that is, you know highly risky and you know wouldn't it's a, be a lot of brain damage and, and wouldn't be worth it so i yeah. think if you know your market you know um the business and how to operate it i think it could be you know a great opportunity right now yeah um, and again this is only like bird's eye view and i yeah. i do not have the experience in the retail market to know where the directions yeah. are but the but some of the comments from cbr and some of these other reports are indicating that uh, that there's some real growth potential for retail as That's they say, say, as they, as they say here, <laughs> retail is interesting. interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting. I love huh. these headlines. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Aren't you, isn't this your business? Like, yeah, I, I would hope that it, it would be interesting. <laughs> um, um, hospitality, um, higher hopes for leisure travel hotels. Um, I, I have higher hopes that, um, hotel rates will be cheaper, but I yeah. don't have a lot of, um, confidence in yeah, that maybe, being the maybe case. Not. Yeah. No. Um, where would hotel investors like to invest during the next year? Do you think that they, I mean, hotel investors, I mean, I guess there's an overlap of like places you, I would, I don't invest in hotels, mm-hmm. not because I don't think that, not because I think they're bad investments. I'm um, just because I just don't understand the operations um, yeah. en- enough. Um, but, you know, you would think an attractive piece of it is, you know, you can invest where you want to actually yeah. go and visit, although like the, they don't have to line up, but a place you'd want to go visit would also probably be a good place to have a destination hotel. Um, so the, when they pose this question, where would hotel investors like to invest during the next year? Is this also like where they want to go? Yeah, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, popular popular tourist destination. So it sounds like a lot of mountain towns are um, really becoming popular. I mean, between you know Jackson, Salt Lake City, Flagstaff, Sedona, Colorado yeah. Springs, Mount Napa. A lot of these were the um, were the places that saw the insane rent growth in 2021. Phoenix and Tampa. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you think you know it's, there's been a there's been a lot of backlash on Airbnb because hmm. recently because. They've gotten more expensive and, you know, the hosts um, are often very restrictive of, mm. you know, hey, I'm going to have I have a noise monitor. And if, you know, you trip it up, there's going to be a, you know, $3,000, you know, party fee and just, oh. you know, these kind of house Airbnb Nazi hosts, essentially. And there's been a lot of people who are like, wait a second, like you're telling me I need to, you're like aggressively telling me I need to do all the dishes and to make the bed and, you know, don't be loud and don't do this. Don't it's do that. Seller's market. And you're charging me a lot and all these fees, or I could go to a hotel where they actually give me good, good, good service. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I love like renting houses. Like there's a, there's time and place for both. But mm-hmm. like when you look at the service and the experience, I think a lot of people are appreciating the other services, amenities that ho- hotels yeah. offer and I think maybe last year in the pandemic, people did a lot of Airbnbs in these kind of uh, more rural mountain kind of nature mm-hmm. um, destinations. And they want to go back and they're like, well, maybe screw the Airbnb. Let's just get a hotel. Yeah, that's really interesting. About- it's a lot too many dots to connect. No, 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 no. It's almost like it's like a short history of, of how in hotels were invented. Well, yeah, you know, we can't stay at, at Joe's house. Joe's got all these rules. Let's just build a house that's specifically for, let's just build a place. Well, and sometimes I tell folks that are into Airbnb, and I think like it's a really cool model and it's a lot of, it's again, it's not something that I do. It's amount of putting the systems in place. Yeah. But what I tell them when they're really getting into it, I guess my, it's not, again, it's not an issue, but at some point you have to acknowledge that what you're doing is managing a scattered site hotel yeah. or scattered site hospitality service. Mm-hmm. And I look at it the same way I look at single family home investing yep. and multifamily investing where it's like, that's a lot more work. Let's just to, put it all on one, we'll put them on top it, of each other. Like, yeah, what if we got all these Airbnb houses? We put them in one <laughs> building and then we had one restaurant we could sell them food and we could provide them really good service. And we they have it. one really nice shared pool and a place <laughs> you can get like a massage, you know, yeah. like, yeah. so it's, a, so it is the goal to buy a hotel. I don't see very many Airbnb operators making a switch to buying a hotel or developing mm-hmm. a hotel, which I find is, I think that would be the logical next step. Yeah. Because how do you not understand you're like, you're in the hospitality industry and look at what all the options are in the hospitality industry. Yeah. Now, I, I think that there is like, just like there is unique reasons why people would want to rent a single family home sure, versus 100%. you know an apartment. Yeah. So like kind of those same reasons. But man, if you're looking for a deal, it may not be a deal at, at, at Airbnb anymore. Yeah. Because people are probably realizing like, oh, you know, the neighbors are starting to bug me about about the noise and parties. Yeah. And and like uh, now, you know, I used to I, I used to do it really cheap. But now after a couple of years, I realize like all of my appliances are getting wear and tear or or these other like maintenance issues are cro- are cropping. Yep. I was like, oh, wait, yeah, there's a cost there. There is a significant cost there. Yeah. I think I thought that this was an interesting um, part of the survey. The perception of risk varies by property type. So. You know, and then this makes sense. They're breaking down the different types of property type and, you know, how much risk our average, basically ranking, investors are ranking the risk for each property type and the risk factor. So interest rates rising too quickly and too high. Matt, you're going to have to help me with these colors. Yeah, even I am a little bit uh, a little bit confused because the color for multifamily blends in so 
so easily with a background of this uh, background mm-hmm. of this chart. But there's um, a, are they just saying there's no real risks? Multi is that like a maybe? <laughs> there's no risks yeah. and everything, but uh, they're basically saying yeah. I mean, we need to mention them, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I so as far as I can read it, I the uh, the the idea that interest rates rising too quickly and too high ranks at number one for all of these. Uh, for all of these uh, property types and people in the multifamily space, oh, I'm sorry, it is it is a slight yellow. People in the multifamily space are most concerned about interest rates rising too quickly and, and too high. And uh, hotels are are among the bottom. Really, the only place that hotels aren't at or near the bottom is the significantly higher operating costs. Yeah, which has got to be they're huge. way up there. And that's yeah. something that we haven't really talked about yet. But I'd, uh, maybe next week we'll, I'll find an article that'll reflect. Yeah, we should that. talk. Yeah, because yeah, we have some of our own data and mm-hmm. yeah. We want to get into, yeah, and I assume that's big. The the interest rate issue is just they can raise rents. I would think that that would also track inflation would help on the operating costs. But I mean, those that payroll wages I know is hitting the hospitality sector very hard. So the second factor is weaker. Uh, economic backdrop, followed by tighter lending standards that we talked about. Again, and the hop operating cost is number four. Weaker rental income is the uh, the fifth the fifth ranked fifth and intense competition for assets eroding anticipated IRRs is at the bottom for for all of these again this is re- it really is dominated by interest rates i think the weaker economic backdrop is a little bit tied into that but the significantly higher operating costs is is something again yeah, i think that's like a to to- really talk about that. yeah that's a good topic for um yeah for i think for a future episode yeah. we can really get into some details well, there's, there's a lot of other good stuff in detail on this report. So I'd highly recommend, one, signing up for the Gray Report newsletter. You can go to graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter. You're going to get um, a very detailed um, investment brief every single Thursday morning at 8.30, packed full of all the latest research reports, articles, another good content from Gray Capital and elsewhere. But you got to make sure you're signed up and subscribe, though, to the Gray Capital YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Hop on over to YouTube, uh, assuming you're watching that on here, or if you're listening to the podcast, we appreciate it. It's good to be on both though. Get yep. the podcast and uh, get the get us on YouTube. Then you get the whole video feature. You can watch us uh, talk about. Start watching graphs. in your office and then yes. finish it on your drive or drive home. It's a good plan. <laughs> and lastly, if you're an accredited investor, we've got a couple deals in the pipeline at Gray Capital for the Gray Fund. So hop on over to Gray.Fund to learn more, get the deck, and uh, schedule a meeting to discuss it with us. All right, Matt, this is a great report, great set of reports. I hope everyone's learned a little bit. I know I have today some more insights. We're going to be back next week as we are every Thursday for with The Great Report.